Welcome to the Housing Matters Podcast, brought to you by the California Association of Realtors and the Center for California Real Estate. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Housing Matters Podcast. I'm Oscar Way, senior and senior economist of the California Association of Realtors, and I also have and Jordan, I'm Jordan here. Levine. Yeah, it's good to be back. Yeah, Jordan, I haven't talked to you for has it been like. Well, actually, no. Last time we had the ep- we have we talked about the episode together, but I think uh, it's it's more than two weeks. I promised people that you know we'll do it in two weeks, but you know it's definitely my fault. I haven't been able to uh, to to get on the schedule, but um, you know. Well, that's our New Year's resolution for 2019. Yes. We're going to be a lot more consistent. Absolutely, and of course, this is the last episode. Most likely, the last episode. Maybe we we can do it. We can do another one, but I think uh, everyone is in the holiday spirit. So in the next couple of weeks, we may not have one. But um, you know, given that this could be the last one, let's talk something about um, what we can expect in 2019. Now we talked about forecasts before, but I think uh, in previous forecasts we touched lightly on the risks that we might encounter. Right. So maybe we can talk about, you know, what kind of risk we can expect in 2019? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I just got back from a series of uh, events out on the road, and I think people are very curious about, you know, what's happening with the market shift, which we've talked a lot about. Mm-hmm. But I think, as I said in, in my comments when I'm out on the road, that I, I really do think a lot of the risks to the housing market at this point are are more external, right? It's not necessarily things bubbling up with mortgage finance or something in the housing market itself per se. I think uh, some of these risks that we're going to talk about on the external front, things that are going on in the economy and the rest of the world um, are really probably the things that are more likely to be the the kind of tipping points. So, uh, And I think first and foremost on those is, is trade, right? And this kind of ongoing trade war that doesn't seem to be um, going away, at least over the near term, even though we got a bit of a of a reprieve for the next couple of months, right? Absolutely. I mean, the macro stuff, as you said, is probably um, the the in the uh, upfront and uh, front and center for not just the economy but the housing market. And trade war is one of the issues that has been covered by a lot of reporters, by a lot of media, and I think uh, it, it's uh, definitely worth talking about uh, as our very first risk. There are a few risks, but trade war is definitely one of them. And of course, because of what happened recently, and I think of course it affects the how, uh, the uh, stock market as well, which we will talk about later. But the trade war is one of the big issues that has been affecting the main street and the um, the financial market. Uh, one of the discussion that or uh, the media coverage that we had recently was the um, G20 summit at the G20 right. summit. Um, Donald, uh, President Trump had a meeting with uh, President uh, Z, uh, Z of um, China, and they talked about um, possibly um, having a deal, and they are going to cease fire for the next 90 days. Which is a good thing. Hey, right, we'll take 90 days, although we'd like to see a more long-term solution. I think that's what the, the markets are really looking for. Exactly. I mean, before that meeting, people were concerned. There were a lot of speculation. Of course, um, there are some impacts that we have talked about in the past on trade war. Let's kind of revisit that a little bit. You know, when you have a trade tariff, of course, it slowed down the uh, economic activity, not just at the U.S. level, but at the global level. Right. 
and at the same time, um, it also add inflation, right? That's right. And and the reason why we care about that, obviously, is because the, the more inflation creeps up because we're, you know, maybe paying higher prices for these inputs to production or building materials or what have you. Um, that means that the Fed's going to going to kind of have to to be more aggressive on that front, and maybe raise rates more than they otherwise would have wanted to. I mean, they we'll talk about that in a minute, but it seems like they're kind of um, easing up a little bit. But if we start to see a, a more rampant bout of inflation, then they're going to have to respond. Exactly. And of course, there are other more minor factors, but it does affect the housing market, such as, for example, if there is a trade war that could affect the uh, currency exchange rate. And we know that from, you know, study out from a survey, there, there are a lot of uh, Asian buyers from China buying in the U.S. Now, if a home, if a price stays exactly the same level for the domestic buyer, it may not necessarily change anything, um, you know. Uh, given that we have the same interest rate as at the uh, in the same price level, it may not necessarily change the uh, buyer's intention to buy. But if there is an exchange rate uh, fluctuation, uh, many of the uh, Chinese buyers may feel like they have to pay a little bit more uh, in order to buy a house in California or in some other parts of the U.S. So any type of currency Definitely. fluctuation is going to affect some of the uh, foreign buyers. Yeah, I mean, like you said, it's kind of the double whammy, right? Because if prices go up, and I think our forecast is for, you know, another 3% or so increase, 3.5% mm -hmm. or so next year, um, you know, but if the, if the exchange rates deteriorate for these foreign countries, and it's not just China, China's the one we're in the trade war with, but if the exchange rate goes up in America, that affects, you know, all of Brazilian buyers, Indian buyers, buyers from all over the world, um, not just China. And uh, and unfortunately, that hits them right in the pocketbook. It's the double whammy, because not only is the the house costing you more to purchase just in, in absolute terms, but now you've got to absorb that, that weaker uh, currency that you're on as well. Absolutely. And then, of course, um, there are some uh, material that Im we import from China, from other countries, and if there is a tariff on some of those uh, imported goods, it w might affect you know the cost of constructions, lumber or yeah, some other. Yeah, and, uh, and it's already no picnic to try and build in California, right? It's not necessarily particularly cheap right now, and so uh, as the cost of steel and some of these other items go up, it it just puts us that much farther behind the eight ball. Absolutely, and you know, for the more local level. We know that, you know, Riverside, San Bernardino and Oakland, we have the Port of L.A., Port of Long Beach. You know, if we have uh, some trade tariff issues, some uh, trade war between uh, China and U.S. that would affect the international trade activities. And, of course, it would affect the activities at the ports. And, of course, that could affect the logistic and any type of economic growth in those counties or cities. Yeah, I mean, that's really the the where the rubber meets the road and where this issue gets a little bit closer to home is that we have a significant number of jobs in California, both north and south, and even in Sacramento, right? And we've got the Delta and the ports out there um, where where these jobs are directly tied to the number of containers that are going in and out of these ports and airports. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, those are the impacts. Um, after, now, I, we just gave you the impact on, you know, what the trade tariff would have on the housing market and the economy. I want to give a quick update of, you know, the development uh, recently on, on trade war. A couple of things, of course, um, after the uh, G20 summit, everyone was somewhat, you know, excited. And then right afterwards, you know, there, the, the day right after, uh, we saw um, our president, might have mentioned something about being a, the tariff man, 
um, if the deal right. didn't go through. So it affected the stock market. So I just want to bring that up because, you know, the trade war is, is a great deal for the stock market. And of course, the stock market actually could affect, you know, the wealth effect and affect the housing market in, uh, in turn. So right. the trade war is still front and tension. Um, be, and we were getting a little bit more confirmation, I think, in the last day or two uh, from the Chinese government that, yeah, there is a deal that they're working on right now. But um, they're going to buy some more of our ag, right? They're going right, to let some other right. stuff come through. And, and I think that we'll um, get rid of some of the some of the tariffs in return for that, I guess, if uh, if the plan goes through. Right. And that's not a, a full blown win in terms of reversing this giant trade deficit that we've had in China. But I guess the, the idea is that, you know, we'll take some concessions and that'll definitely help our ag sector. Exactly. And if everything goes well, that, you know, it should it should be OK. And hopefully you know, in the next three months or so, something will come out. But of course, there's always some. Um, Distractions, for example, yesterday, you know, the arrest of the uh, chief financial officer of Huawei Technology. Um, right. That actually put some um, concern about whether the uh, the trade uh, discussion will continue because Huawei Technology is actually one of the largest um, telecommunication manufacturer globally and also the second largest uh, mobile device uh, uh, maker. So. Chinese, uh, the a Chinese government look at that company as you know one of their you know poster child, and of course, uh, if there is something that happens to the uh, one of their executive, um, and they get arrested, uh, that is definitely going to create some uh, trade tension. And of course, the stock market definitely is aware of that, and it shows that they're concerned. Uh, but yeah. should we be concerned about it? Yeah, oh, well, you know, it's. I think it's just. It just makes things that much more difficult. I think that it. It just kind of underscores how complex the relationship between the United States and China, you know, is. And we're negotiating trade on on one hand, and we're looking at you know protecting our intellectual property on the other hand, mm -hmm. and and sometimes those things butt up against each other, and it just kind of I think goes to show how hard it is to navigate a trade war successfully. And, and I think that's what, you know, the stock market's worried about. I think this, this 90 day ceasefire and some of the provisions in there are good, but I think folks more than anything are, are really craving certainty. And, right. and unfortunately you don't get that with the kind of uh, 90 day type of ceasefire that, that we've seen here. And so unfortunately I think that we're going to continue to see, um, a bit of turbulence and and i think that in addition to just the, the kind of more uh, textbook economic impacts that we discussed earlier is going to be probably the you know the most impactful for for us and in our business because again these folks are sitting on portfolios a lot of our clients right mm -hmm. and and when their wealth is jumping up and down you know by five or six hundred points a day um then then it makes folks kind of want to pump the brakes on on being in a wait and see mode absolutely and i think um you mentioned earlier um there's a lot of complications so it may actually be more than just a trade war i think uh, i went to ucla for their forecast yesterday and uh, this could potentially be more than just a trade war between us and china it could potentially be um like an economic cold war is that going to be the case we don't know i mean we have to take a look and see um, but it looks like, of course, you know, if you have some tension between two powerhouses, you know, in the world, that's um, that's a lot, a lot of complexity, and I think we have to wait and see.
Yeah, definitely. So, um, fortunately, there's a lot of other stuff going on out there, right? Oil prices seem to be jumping up, and I think that those commodity prices are are another potential risk just to to overall economic conditions. Absolutely. I mean, oil prices actually ha- have been um, going up and down. I think in the um, since October, uh, it kind of peaked in October at around for the Brent crude oil. Um, price in October and in the beginning of October it was around 85 and now it dropped down or end of uh, November it dropped down to about 55 56 and part of the reason is because of increase in supply because of right. the um, okay. US um, requesting you know a little bit more increase in supply because of the uh, sanction of Iran and so increase in supply led to a little bit more um, uh, lower lowering the price of uh, the crude oil, but to uh, this morning, I think I believe it's this morning, OPEC released a news saying that they agreed to cut 1.2 million barrels of oil a day from global supply. Right. Now that could have an impact. Um, it depends on how you look at it. You know, the, when oil prices go down, uh, a few years ago when oil prices have gone down to a low level, it affects a lot of employment in most right. of our states. Right, and 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 a lot of energy producers in Texas, actually, and even uh, in California, and in various parts of the state as well, and 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 it makes it non-economic to continue to extract the oil in some of these kind of higher cost ways that they that they have to go about doing it. Right now, so now we are cutting back on you know the oil uh, production. That could potentially mean that we are going to see you know as at the gas pump a little bit higher in terms of price. Right. And yep, so higher prices on the consumers, but you might see some of these wells get flicked back on too. So for oil producing states, it might be um, good for them from a jobs perspective. But this is kind of similar to, um, you know, trade tariffs in a way, because unfortunately we've got more uh, oil consumers than we have oil producers. And so, you know, it ends up being kind of a net hit to to the economy in the same way that, you know, tariffs protect a domestic industry. But if we have more folks consuming those goods and paying higher prices, um, then they has that kind of canceling out effect. Absolutely. And also, you know, for the um, housing market, you know, when we have oil prices increase, of course, um, the inflation of the on the inflation front, not necessarily the core inflation, but on the headline inflation number, it might show that you know it is going to go a little bit higher in the next few months or so. That could affect some of the um, decisions on the Federal Reserve. Exactly, and and that's again where where the rubber meets the road because that's what we care about in the real estate industry is is how much is it going to cost our clients to to be able to get into housing and and we've talked at length about how rising rates tends to really hit Californians particularly hard in the pocketbook because the the level of prices is such that even, you know, relatively small jumps in in interest rates like 50 basis points can have uh, significant increases in the monthly cost. Yeah, so it's 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 very, you know, all these different, you know, risks that they're tricky. Just, yeah, they're tricky, but and they're not just on one particular path. I mean, one more thing to add to the oil prices is of course we had maybe a few weeks ago we had some incidents with the um, Saudi Arabia in in terms of the foreign policy on the uh, murder of Washington Post columnist right. uh, Kashoski and so it just add a little bit more geopolitical tension because I think uh, for the U.S. we haven't done anything uh, we're still investigating on the um, on the, um, the 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 murder um, at the same time. 
there are some contro uh, controversial uh, foreign policy moves that we have made. Um, when we haven't done anything, you know, on that front yet. So the fact that you know OPEC is increasing, uh, cutting back on the uh, barrel of oils might have, uh, you know, uh, intensified the tension a little bit. And of course, that's yeah, always like an engine. many, many layers. Yeah, so it's it's a lot of complication. Um, we're not going to get into politics that much, but I just want to bring that to people's attention that you know there are a lot of different ways to interpret, you know, the oil price increase on on the productions uh, cut as well. So it's not just one set of presumption, one set of uh, interpretation. Now, I mentioned about inflation. Let's talk a little bit about the Federal Reserve. We have to. Absolutely. So, okay, so right now interest rate is at close to 5%. I think has gone way past uh, 5 uh, a few weeks ago, but it dipped a little bit. And um, now I before, I know we're going to talk about stock market, but before we talk about that, um, the Federal Reserve actually made a um, uh, sort of a, not necessarily announcement, but they did an interview. Changed the tone a bit. Right. They changed the tone a little bit. They did an interview sort of with uh, Wall Street Journal, and they said something about um, they're going to take a look at the um, current uh, hike a little bit more carefully by focusing more on the data. That's right. And that, that suggests that they're maybe pumping the brakes a little bit in terms of the amount of rate hikes that they might want to continue to do. It does seem like they're going to do one this month in, in December, um, but, uh, but they do seem to be signaling to the markets that they're, that they're going to start pumping the brakes a bit. Right. So they're going to use a wait and see approach. And of course, you know, we are seeing some slow, obviously, you know, the economy is still growing at a pretty decent rate, but it might have slowed down a little bit, a, 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 a little bit compared to the second quarter. And we anticipate, generally anticipate a little bit more slowdown in 2019. But at the same time, the inflation seems to be seems to have leveled off a little bit wouldn't you, would you agree yeah definitely i mean i think that the uh the amount of inflation has stabilized around that target level so i agree that they don't necessarily need to uh continue to to kind of keep their foot on the accelerator in terms of raising short-term rates especially in light of some of the things that happened uh recently you know in terms of the yield curve which i know we're going to touch on in a bit as well mm -hmm. but uh you know, I think the thing that the markets are are worried about is that maybe it suggests that the Fed, you know, isn't as confident about the trajectory of the economy and and why they don't want to kind of choke off growth too much. Yeah. So, I mean, the interpretation is, you know, it's whether it's uh, it depends on you know who is looking at it. Some people may be looking at it as half glass full, and some people may look uh, may be looking at it as half glass empty. So. Some of the federal, if the Federal Reserve is going to do a wait and see approach, you know, some people will interpret that as okay, interest rate is going to go, um, the interest rate is going to stabilize, maybe not as much as we anticipate. But at the same time, uh, because uh, with that with that kind of expectation, what happened after um, that release by Wall Street Journal about the Federal Reserve move? Um, what happened to the stock market yesterday was originally the Dow Jones index actually dropped. Um, yesterday by about 785 points at one point. Yeah, almost 800 points. Almost yeah. 800 again, um, but then it kind of bounced back and it ended the day with only 79 points. So people are paying attention to the Federal Reserve move. 
Definitely, definitely. And I think that, you know, ultimately the the feds are are smart and they don't want to sabotage the overall economy. So they're not going to do anything rash. I think that the the bigger risk is for me on on the side of the stock market itself, because not only is it reacting to all of this news. Right. uh, But also, I think when you just look at the valuations on the stock market themselves, they seem pretty high. I always nerd out every quarter when the new corporate profit data comes out and you can actually make like a basic PE ratio for the whole economy by looking at the value of the the stock market in total and compare that to how much corporate profits are being generated by our economy. And if you look at that, it it doesn't suggest that we're at, you know, some all time high level of of stocks being overvalued. But I think that the historical average is that the economy is worth about 10 times as much as as the corporate profits that we make and and now it's getting into the 14 or 15 times corporate profits i think it got up to 20 at one point before the stock market really had a major correction but 15 is it does suggest that the the markets are fairly frothy out there and and i think that that's maybe where some of the the bigger risks lie not just because of of the fact that maybe stocks are are slightly high from a valuation standpoint relative to how much money these companies are making, but also because it bakes in kind of all of this other stuff that we've been talking about up to this point with the trade war, with what the Fed's going to do, with what's going on with oil prices, right? This is all kind of baked in uh, to those financial markets. And and so that might be the first kind of signal um, that that bigger things are going to happen in the economy and therefore the housing yeah, all those that you mentioned, you know, those are you know definitely risk, but you know the stock market um, is definitely front and center for you know what we considered probably, arguably, you know the um, the the biggest risk. I think you know with with uh, what's going to happen with the housing market and the economy because you can see in the last few days or last couple of weeks there have been a lot of fluctuation. You know, how often do you right. see? The stock market dropped 800 point in one day, and then possibly, and then it was going to drop another 800 points uh, on uh, on went on uh, Thursday before it kind of picked back up. Right. Um, yeah. So I mean, those trade wars, those Federal Reserve overshooting, and the oil prices. There's so much. There's so much uncertainty. To add to that, of course, I think um, people. In general, of course, are concerned about whether we have enough economic growth domestically. Right. We have, we have a pretty strong year this year. Uh, most likely, we are going to hit a three uh, percent for the annual of 2018. But moving forward in 2019 and 2020, people basically know that it's things are going to slow down. Right. Yeah, I was actually just reading the core logic forecast right before we jumped on here and and they're forecasting basically the exact same number for growth that we are, which is, you know, in that kind of um, low to mid two percent range, which is, again, a a backing off from from what we expect to get as we close out this year. And and for a legitimate reason, because we know that, you know, the uh, two year package of the federal spending increase is going to expire in next September. That means some of right. the real defense spending is going to go down, uh, slow down. We may still see in 2019 some gain in 2019 for the real defense spending, but then 2020 is going to flatten out. Also, the intellectual property spending, uh, based on some of the UCLA study, it seems like it's strong now, but it's kind of fizzling off and tailing, trailing off a little bit in the upcoming year and 2020. So it's very legitimate to think that 
in the upcoming year and 2020, we are going to see some uh, economic slowdown. Yeah, and I mean, just when you look at the actual length of this business cycle, I think that, again, when I was reading that CoreLogic report, they said we're like six or seven months away from having the the longest expansion in U.S. history. And, and you know, unfortunately, you just don't get expansions that last 11, 12 years historically. And so um, just that on its own without a lot of other facts suggests that eventually um, we're going to get there. Yeah, and, I wanna... and and the reason why this stuff all matters too is because you know that's where our clients are going to feel it the most. They all own stocks, and there's this self fulfilling prophecy where if you know the government's not spending money, if people are worried that the you know stock market's bumpy or worried about some of these things, then they then they don't go out and invest in intellectual property and equipment and things like that because they're 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 worried about the future, and and then they're not out there spending, and so that creates this kind of softness that we're all. Uh, worried about and and unfortunately our clients are all invested in the stock market and so even though you know trade wars and and oil prices can seem like you know abstract concepts they're all holding on to you know 401ks or or stock portfolios and and as the you know those things play themselves out on the financial markets then they feel that right in their in their pocketbooks and on their balance sheets yeah absolutely i mean of course some you said you know those oil prices and everything all the other stuff could be abstract. You know, some of the more not as abstract stuff are actually showing some weakness too. Um, right. You know, there have been some tech uh, stock sell-off. You know, people are familiar with Apple, Amazon, and Facebook. All those have been seeing some, you know, weakness in the last few weeks. Uh, Apple actually dropped more than 25% from the peak. Um, same yeah. for Facebook. A lot of double-digit declines, though, right? So yeah, I mean th those are real stuff that you see on a on a on a daily basis, and if those things are dropping off, of course people are freaking out. Right. And and there are more indication, you know, uh, uh, in regards to possible recession, um, and people talk about the yield curve uh, inversions, which is an indication of a possible recessions in the next year to uh, uh, eighteen months or two years, and right. something that happened just a couple of days ago, right, on the yield curve. Yeah, so unfortunately what that means is that basically short-term rates are actually higher than than rates at the the longer end of the yield curve or longer term rates in the 3 year um were, you know, negative basically the spread between the 3 right. and the 5 that means that you know shorter term rates are higher that means that there's more risk to the economy over the short run and uh and that's not good for for bond markets in particular, right? Why are you going to invest your money over a longer term and lock that money up and not have access to it if you can get more money by, you know, buying a cheaper bond for a shorter term? Right. They believe that it's safer um, in the long term. So that suggests to me that they're not confident about the near term. Near term could right. be 18 months and two years. So what uh, what could happen in the next couple of years? Possibly, you know, the either a stock market um, uh, slowdown, economic slowdown. So that suggests to me that you know, there are some uh, issues that at least some of the stock investors are concerned about. And usually, I mean, unfortunately, um, based on the uh, yield curve inversion predictions in the past, going back to 1955, an inverted yield curve usually precede all recessions. So yeah, that's it's batting a thousand in terms of <laughs> prediction. So that means hundred percent it's correct, um, right? And but keep in mind, you know, the U curve inversion is not a causation; it's a correlation. So um, we have been saying it before, 
we there could possibly be a, a recession or at least an economic slowdown uh, by 2020. And we still believe that could be the case. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I, I'm glad you said that it's correlation. It's not causation uh, because it's it's a symptom. An inverted yield curve doesn't cre- you know cause the economy to um, go into a, a nosedive. But I think it's it's a symptom rather right it's it's symptomatic of the way these investors are thinking and why you're seeing that softness in business investment and and why folks are expecting growth to go down next year is you know that's that's why the yield curve matters not because it does anything in and of itself but it's a window into how these guys are thinking out there yeah so it's just definitely a sign i mean uh, we have to continue looking at it observing it and of course we'll report to you back on you know whether that yield curve inversion continue to exist uh, for the next few months or so. Now, before, okay, so there are a couple other risks uh, that are more directly related to, um, well, somewhat related to the economy, but I think has more direct impact on the housing market as well. One is, of course, we've talked about this before, the tax reform that was um, implemented oh, yeah. or adopted at the end of last year, um, 2017, we, we set we actually had a whole webinar on that, right? On you know how it affects uh, sales and price and supply. Um, it seems like at least initially it hasn't. We haven't feel you know as much impact, you know, at least for the first few months or so. But that might be creeping up um, later part of the year and maybe uh, even next year as people file their tax yeah, return. Right, exactly. And, you know, because the the lower cap on the MID for all those new homeowners and things like that, but I think more significantly is the cap on state and local tax deductions, which you can only deduct 10,000 and that used to be unlimited. And and with California's high tax rates for both, um, you know, income tax and, and we have a relatively low property tax rate, but unfortunately our property values are fairly high so that a lot of folks are actually above that $10,000 cap, and so they're going to feel that. But I think even more significantly than than those folks who saw the cost of home ownership go up is uh-huh. is that you know it, is the tax reform might be explaining at least some of the reduced demand that we're seeing at the bottom end mm-hmm. of the market too. I know affordability is is a huge issue, and I certainly don't think that tax reform is the number one um, driver of the weakness in demand at the bottom end of the market. I think folks are worried about prices having peaked. I think that affordability is taking away from their ability to get into the market. But I do think this this lost incentive for home ownership, the fact that we've doubled the standard deduction, so you can deduct $24,000 if you're a married couple uh, from your taxes, whether you rent or own, um, really nullifies a lot of the the benefits of becoming a homeowner. And, And I think that's one of the reasons why, even though we have all these new listings coming on at the bottom end of the market, uh, that they're not necessarily being snapped up. I think some folks can't afford them, obviously. Some folks don't want to buy right now because they think prices might have peaked. But I also think that some folks are saying, why am I going to make this extra financial commitment when there's no kind of additional tax benefit at the margins? I do think that that's kind of showing up here as well. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it in the past that, you know, there's always um, the tax saving benefits is one, uh, maybe not the main reason why people uh, purchase a property, but it plays a role. So, you know, it, it definitely have an effect. And and I said it may not, we may not, you might not have felt it, you know, uh, at the beginning of the year because people, they don't look at their tax return until the end of the year. So it's about time when people take a look yeah. at their taxes and then they realize, okay, well, I can't deduct that much anymore. That's right. 
So that's, so that's a concern. Now, we will continue to keep an eye on that and see. Another thing that uh, you know we're speculating, and this is directly related to the housing market, is the possibility of a GSU reform. We This is one thing that was um, when um, in 2016, when we had a 2017, the beginning of 2017, when we had a new uh, president, we talked about the GSU reform possibly in place. Now, um, Fannie and Freddie um, have been under you know government ownership uh, for quite some time. There has been discussion of maybe privatization of the um, the GSE Fannie and Freddie, and there are some models out there uh, that could impact the um, loan limits as well as the government uh, guarantee. So those right. are things that needs to be concerned about. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, at the end of the day, this is really what matters for for the housing market. Most of these folks who are buying homes are doing it with um, financing. You know, that's right. that's just how it is. That's the the way our our system set up with these prices, and and so the government guarantee is huge. The loan limits are huge. Unfortunately, California again is a much more high cost right. area than the rest of the nation, and so being able to get access to mortgage capital with the government guarantee by kind of, you know, keeping parity from an affordability standpoint. I mean, um, you know, an entry level house in California is still much more expensive, I think, even than the average house in the rest of the nation. And so uh, taking away that government guarantee, if we privatize those those folks, then that could have an impact on 30 year uh, rates, right? Mm-hmm. And and not having parity on those loan limits are going to mean that a lot more folks are having to go jumbo and pay more money um, and potentially not afford. We already saw in our third quarter housing affordability index that a lot of folks are already struggling with with affordability. And and when you just dump more po- uh, folks into that kind of jumbo category, then then just that many you know fewer folks can actually achieve home ownership. Yeah, and based on some studies. Uh, from I believe it's from Moody's. I know that you know 30-year fixed rate could increase by 75 basis point if we have any type of privatization. You imagine what we have right now. Uh, let's say 5% right now. You know, with that privatization, right. we already Im- immediately jump to 5.75 even without the rate hike from the uh, Federal Reserve. Right. That's if everything stays the way it is right now, and that's the only thing that changes. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And, you know, even without any price increase, 75 basis point could increase your monthly ma- uh, mortgage payment by uh, a couple hundred bucks or so. And that means. Yeah, I think it's even more. I think it's like five or six hundred dollars a month for well, a hundred basis points, I think, is about six hundred dollars a month at current prices. So yeah. that's painful. You know, folks don't have seventy two hundred dollars a year laying around extra to throw towards housing when the price is already fairly uh, unaffordable in California. So that's that's the concern. We don't know if that's going to rise to the fore in terms of a policy priority. They say that it's going to be um, a top priority. But uh, that's one that we're going to be monitoring very closely. I think that there's ways that we can work a deal that will work for home ownership and for our members. Um, you know, we got to think about assumability, right? A lot of folks right. in California are locked in at three and a half percent mortgage rates, and and the higher that thirty-year fixed rates go in the future, then the less you know, willing and likely these folks are going to be to want to give up that that three and a half percent loan. Uh, to go somewhere else, and I think that we really got to think about um, assumability as a as an option that that's going to really um, help us out in in the future. It's not going to be a big deal when people are in four percent rates and rates right now are at four point nine percent. 
Um, but if they get up to, you know, six or five and a half or whatever over the next couple of years, then um, that's a significant, you know, a significant increase in your cost of owning uh, or of moving or of buying when when you're sitting in a again a three or a four percent interest rate. Yeah, I mean, hopefully, you know, that is going to be in the discussion. And again, we don't have a timeline on exactly when the GSE reform is going to be discussed, but I'm sure it's going to service at some point next year. Um, so we'll keep an eye and we'll let you guys know. Now, just to recap, I mean, to before we wrap up, just to recap, you know, there are some risks in the market. We mentioned a few. Trade war is one, uh, front and center. Uh, people pay a lot of attention to it. Oil prices, right? Um, yeah. The, and then we have you know, possibly the Federal Reserve overshooting. But at the same time, there's some upside risk for the Federal Reserve. They may be taking a wait-and-see approach. So it may be a good thing for uh, for a little bit more leveling off of interest rates. Can't say for sure, but we'll keep an eye on that. Um, of course, stock market volatility is getting a lot of attention. Um, and then, of course, the tax reform we just we just mentioned, and then the GSE reform. Those are some of the things. Of course, there are probably more stuff out there, but uh, given the time that we have, we can only cover six for now. And I think those are the hot ones, honestly. I think that the problems are going to come from from one of those areas. You know, I think that those are are the risks that we that we're keeping an eye on most closely. And and as things develop with any one of these, then we will be back to a report on those so that you guys have the have the dirt and have the scoop and can uh, can be all dialed in for your business for 2019. Absolutely. Well, with that said, um, I wish everyone a happy holiday. And um, again, I don't know whether we will be able to do another one, but uh, happy holidays to everyone. And then wish everyone a great year ahead in 2019. Yep, and we'll see you in 2019. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Bye-bye.